You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Colorado? Chris Lopez here, and today's episode is a deep dive into estate planning from a house hacker's point of view. So a couple months ago, we did a really in-depth three-part series on estate planning and just general liability protection for real estate landlords. Got a ton of great feedback, and a lot of people are now getting everything squared away. But we had a lot of house hackers reach out about estate planning, and we got one of our strategic partners, Pam with Law Mother here, to actually go over five important tips that house hackers should know for estate planning. Pam, I'm thrilled to talk about this with you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, Chris. So I know you've had a lot of house hackers reach out to you to start estate planning. And of course, they have a very unique situation with kind of like their setup with living in the property, roommates or Airbnb. They still have the same considerations of liability protection, same considerations for eventually passing on their estate. I know it's a very... I don't know if complex is the right word, but a very nuanced and interesting topic that I don't think I've ever heard of before. So like set the stage for a house hacker comes into you, talks estate planning. What's kind of like the, where's the conversation differ than a normal estate planning conversation? Yeah. So I feel like for house hackers, they have to kind of think about things as a business owner, right? And the properties are kind of really analogous to owning an apartment complex. You have multiple tenants, you have common areas and common spaces. So it's important to kind of think about the specific liability and asset protection components and really protect yourself. All right. So I want to jump in these five tips because you've got some great notes here compiled from a lot of the clients you've worked with. And before uh, we go into it, I cannot recommend you enough to my clients, myself. I'll make sure people know I've used you for my state plan last year. Loved working with you. A lot of my friends have worked with you. A lot of our clients have worked with you. So if anyone out there has estate planning questions or need one, make sure you talk to Pam and her team. So Pam, what is tip number one? So tip number one is the time to start is now. You don't want to put in an asset protection or estate plan after a harm starts because then it can be considered fraudulent transfer. And Colorado has actually a very harsh fraudulent transfer act. And I like to explain this concept through a story. So I represented a woman who was sexually assaulted by her doctor. And she reported it to the medical board and he owned the building where he assaulted her and he also owned some residential real estate. And within a few days, he started moving the deeds to those properties to his wife and to other family members. And so I found out about it. Um, I was um, involved in the case and started seeing that he was doing this. And under Colorado Fraud Transfer Act, there's an argument that he's getting rid of his assets in a way that is fraudulent, that is depriving a valid claimant from being able to collect. So I went to a judge ahead of time and was able to essentially um, freeze all of his assets, put liens on all of his property, serve all of his banks and have him freeze all of his bank accounts frozen. And then we the case obviously, um, like most cases get settled, but we were in this situation where we could have argued and claimed additional damages, additional um, claims because of that. So you never want to do things um, after the fact. It's really important to do it before a harm starts because then you can be accused of fraudulent transfers. Well, that makes complete sense. It always comes down to, you know, what we see in real estate, measure twice, cut once, measure now, prepare now, because it's always a matter of when, not if something bad happens and it all is on a scale. So hopefully it's a not a big 
bad something, but it's always a matter of when something happens across real estate investing. All right. So tip number two, what is tip number two here for house hackers? Yeah, so tip number two is to get the right insurance in place. And you really want to consider yourself as a business. And what you're creating and what you're doing is very analogous to an apartment complex. So you really want to work with an insurance broker. And I don't sell insurance, but I work with a lot of different um, insurance brokers. You want to work with someone that is familiar with commercial insurance. And if you don't, right, so if you just go and get your typical homeowner's policy and then one of your tenants um, gets injured or there's a flood or some type of issue, you're not going to get coverage. So you're likely going to be potentially excluded. And it's really important to make sure that you talk to an insurance broker who understands the nature of what you're doing and is able to craft a policy to cover it. So is there, I mean, I know you're not involved in uh, directly insurance, but when they, house hackers get the the policy, that type of insurance policy, have you noticed any like big differences or changes in premium or do you not know those nuances? Yeah. I mean, I don't know the nuances in, uh, enough, but I was working with a client recently with a commercial broker and he was kind of walking me through that, you know, it's very important that you don't just do a homeowner's policy. You have to have a policy that will cover And, you know, there's policies, like if you're running an Airbnb, there's set policies now for that type of Mm -hmm. thing. There isn't really a set house hacker policy yet. So he was writing things kind of similar to an apartment complex. It's also really important to have your tenants have their own policies. There's renter's policies. And I know a lot of people, a lot of my clients are kind of loosey-goosey about that sometimes. And it's so important in a house hacker situation because if you imagine you have one tenant who, you know, leaves the bathtub on and now floods the whole place and everyone's property is damaged. I mean, that could be thousands and thousands of dollars of damage, not to mention just the damage to your um, components of the property and the mold and all those issues. So you really want to make sure your tenants have their renter's insurance and they're adding you as an additional insured and that if there is a way to kind of cover all of that. And then you want to really be wary of any known dangers. So if there is... um, First of all, if you're renting to anyone that has a dog, you want to make sure they're not a dangerous dog, right? So if you, whether you're a house hacker or a traditional investor that has a renter, if you are knowingly renting to someone that has a dangerous dog and that person goes and bites someone or does something, you as the owner, the landowner are going to be held on the hook. So you really want to better screen people, same in that kind of house hacking situation. If you know you rent to someone that's like a known violent criminal and they assault someone, you can be also held liable. So you really want to screen people, make sure that coverage is there. And then if there's something that's known to be dangerous on your property, I was involved in a case um, with a rental property up in um, Breckenridge, and there was a dangerous stairwell that the landowner knew about. Like they had had complaints about it. It didn't conform to code. A lot of people fell and got hurt. And so we represented a young teenager who really, really badly got hurt kind of falling down the stairs. Mm. And so you know, taking the time to really, if people put you on notice, if the people that live there put you on notice of any kind of dangerous conditions, you really want to make sure you get those fixed and you're addressing those. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, those examples of making sure your renters have rental policies, which is separate from what the landlord has, vital. All my property managers over there, they always make sure my tenants have renters policies. And if they don't, they charge them five bucks a month and gets a policy for them. It's very, very important. And you're right. Like, don't sweep uh, known dangers under the rug, the bad stairwell or an aggressive breed of a dog. Like if you know this stuff, be wherever it can get on top of it because bad things can happen. 
Yeah. And it's important to know the standard is new or should have known. So you can be on the hook even if you don't know, but as a responsible landlord, you would have known or someone can argue you should have known, you should have done your due diligence, you can still be held liable. Can you give me an example on that? Um, So if you didn't run background checks, so you're like, I didn't know this person was a criminal, you're not off the hook, right? Mm. As a reasonable landlord, you should have. Or if you're like, you know, they told me they were having a dog, but I didn't know it was a pit bull. Hey, it's still your job to... Um, or I thought it was a good pit bull. Hey, you know, certain breeds are going to be more dangerous than others. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. All right. What about tip number three here? Planning for disabilities. Yeah. So, you know, we all kind of were somewhat familiar with the free Britney Spears movement. right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we know when it can go wrong. You know, if you don't have a plan in place of who steps in, if you become incapacitated, then a stranger or a judge is going to make the decision. And they're usually going to choose someone you may not want. Um, we all saw that play out with Britney Spears. So unfortunately, a vast the statistics are, you know, one in four of us are going to be incapacitated at some point time. Um, a lot of us are going to be incapacitated. And as a house hacker, especially if you own multiple properties, if you become incapacitated, your loved ones can't automatically step in and pay those bills. So that house can get foreclosed on. So it's really important to have a plan in place, have those people designated in advance. So if you're, whether you're in a car accident and you end up in the hospital or some other issue comes up, that that house doesn't get lost and go into foreclosure, that your loved ones are able to step in, pay the bills so you can get recovered and be back to running your portfolio. So that statistic used to do, so like one in four people be disabled at some point. Mm -hmm. So that's the scary stat. Mm -hmm. Like that's... Like you're talking like long-term disabilities, there's any long-term, type of disability? Long-term disability. Um, so there were statistics, approximately 30% of all people, 35 to 65, will suffer a disability for at least 90 days. And at least one in seven will become disabled for five years or more. Mm. And that makes me like, I think that's a great thing for people know and keep in consideration for like, you know, what you said, hey, making sure you have someone that can take over for you, whether it's a, a short-term or a long-term thing. But uh, I'll put a recommendation. There is a there's disability insurance out there. There's short term. There's long term disability insurance. That's always a good thing to look at as well. Like I've used that over the years for that very reason. Oh yeah, I mean, a lot of times your greatest asset is your ability to produce income. Yep. And so when that goes away, um, you can definitely insure against that and have that protection. And then just making sure, in addition to the insurance, you have the legal pieces in place so that the right people can get involved and it doesn't go to the court system. So. Tip number four, house hackers are really very young, but tip number four is planning ahead for death and preserving wealth. How do house hackers do that? Yeah. So, you know, from the age of 18, you should put a plan in place, right? So, you know, I have clients. Oh, wait, have you ever had an 18-year-old actually come to you for a yes, plan? Yes. I really? Have, yes. And a, a lot of times, granted, their parents. Mom and dad are helping out. Dad, okay. That's still impressive of, for yep, everyone. Yep. And wow. um, a lot of my house hacker clients are young and they're just yeah. starting out and they want to put an estate plan in place. So, um, you know, planning for your death is, you know, what would happen if something were to happen to you, to your properties? And we kind of talked about this a little bit in disability. Mm -hmm. Um, With death, if you have no plan in place, it's going to be the state's estate plan for you, which you're not going to like. The state's plan for you is going to be an expensive, costly probate process. And most of you in the real estate business probably have come across real estate being caught up in the probate process. It's messy. It's costly. People lose those assets. And it's even more important if you have young kids, really making sure that they're going to be set up and that 
all these assets that you've worked so hard to build are going to be protected for them. So, I mean, if you've got a young house for, you know, say, uh, you know, some of the early 20s, mid 20s, that's a lot of our house hacking demographics for clients we have. Is the type of estate plan or the way it's structured different than like someone who's like me? I'm 40 with a family, um, you know, different phase of my life or is it all pretty similar? Yeah, I mean, so the foundation is you're going to, if you want it to avoid going through probate, you're going to want to have a living trust in the background. And a lot of mistakes that I see kind of new house hackers making is they go and set up an LLC and they feel like that's going to protect everything. And if you die, the LLC is still going to go through probate. It's mm-hmm. still going to cost a lot of money, still going to cost a lot of time. And a lot of these young house hackers also have young kids or are starting to think about having kids or they have nieces and nephews or siblings that they want to take care of. And really putting things in a living trust are going to have it avoid going through probate. You've spent this money to collect these assets. You might as well protect them and uh, not have them get lost through probate. Um, So I would say like, you know, obviously a trust-based estate plan is going to be modified based on your specific needs. So Mm -hmm. I have clients that are in your demographic (laughs) and younger who kind of are pretty consistent. And then my clients, I would say the other category is like my clients who are over the age of, you know, 60. And most of the time they have adult children. So it's either no children or minor children or adult children. And with adult children, a lot of times um, they want to put in place asset protection. So they want to protect that asset from future divorces, future creditors. So um, there was a case that I was involved in with a colleague where um, this family owned a mountain home and they the goal was to pass it on from generation to generation. And they didn't put together a estate plan. They didn't put together a trust. And so when it got passed down, the granddaughter died. The house went to the husband. The husband then went through a divorce after he got remarried. And so this real yep. estate that was supposed to be kept in the family and go to great-grandchildren and everything like that is now completely separated from the family. The grandparents, like all of their wishes are out the door. And so really setting up a trust to make sure it's going to kind of pass down and have that generational wealth. That That is a great tip. And I've heard, uh, I've heard similar horror stories over the years of that exact same happening. Grandma or, you know, great grandparent leaves something. And then somewhere down the chain, someone gets divorced or something bad happens. And then now that goes to the son-in-law that no one really liked or don't want. And they're now they have the assets. Yeah. And something to think about, especially for house hackers that aren't married, is kind of this common law marriage and what what happens in that situation. And so I have a lot of house hacking couples that come to me that are, you know, um, house hacking with their significant other and they're not married. And if something were to happen to them without a plan in place, they're really disinheriting their partner because they don't have that legal protection because they're not married. Can you explain what common law marriage is? Yeah, so common law marriage um, is essentially being arguing that you're married after the fact. So um, this would come up if you are living with your partner, but you're not married, but you're acting like you're married and you're holding things out as if you're married. A lot of times people come to me and they're like, we're not married. And then I dig a little bit deeper and um, they've held each other out as common law married to get medical benefits. So with insurance, they've put common law married. I'm like, well, under the law, you're now, there's a really strong argument, you're common law married. Or um, in the reverse, like I have a lot of um, clients that are single women or single men who live with their significant other that they never want to marry or they're not ever intending to marry. And without the right documentation in place, if they die, um, you know, that spouse, that partner could argue that they were married even though they want and maybe disinherit 
the rest of the family. So anytime you're living with someone who you're not married to, it's important to have a plan in place either way to protect either you or to protect them or to protect both of you. Because it's the living together that often like triggers the common law marriage I don't know, or clause. I'm not sure what the right word is for that, but it's the living together aspect that often leads to it, right? Yeah. So in Colorado, it's a multi-factor test. So there isn't just one thing that says, yes, you're common law. After the fact, the judge is going to look at everything and say, okay, were they living together? Were they um, holding themselves out as being married to insurance companies? What were their actions? What did they do? And so they're going to look at all of that evidence to make that decision. And so um, a lot of times if you're living together um, from an estate planning standpoint, I'm talking about death and incapacity. And then if you, it's also a good idea to plan if you do separate what's going to happen. And so you can sign a cohabitation agreement so that hmm. you have an agreement that if you're not planning to ever get married, you're saying, hey, we're living together. We're not ever planning to get married. If we separate, if we break up, this is how we want assets to be distributed. Okay, makes sense. Last but not least, what is tip number five, Pam? Um, so tip number five is setting up a limited liability entity and making sure that you assign any ownership interest to a living trust for that. And in an ideal world, if we could do it, right, You, if you were house hacking, you'd want to put an LLC over every bedroom, right? You'd want to have, you know, bedroom one is LLC oh, that one. Would, but you can't do that. You legally can't do that, right? <laughs> you can't do that. Um, but generally speaking, the idea is you want to think about having an LLC to separate your personal from your business interests and to give that additional protection. Um, but it's not foolproof, right? So, um you want to make sure you're keeping your formalities for your business. You're not commingling assets. And if you wanted to avoid probate, you want to assign your interest to the trust. And I mean, that question, like, you know, putting a property in LLC is one of the most common questions I get, probably you get as well. And we covered that in depth in that three-part series we did a couple months ago. I think it was, you know, uh, protecting and preserving your wealth. So I definitely recommend people go listen to that if you have a lot of questions around LLCs and putting properties in there because it's uh, not a straightforward answer or process. Uh, we'll link to the show notes, but that is a great starting point where we go through three avatars and a lot of that was discussed around putting properties in LLCs. Because I've had house hacking clients talk about this. I mean, you know, we've chat about it a lot. And the kind of consensus I've gotten from clients who are house hacking is, you know, they won't transfer the property typically while they're living there, but oftentimes once they move out. Yeah. Because my, and I, you know, this is not legal advice here, but I'm like, well, if someone's living there and you put in the property in LLC, how much LL, how much protection LLC give you if, um, hey, this is my property in, in Chris Lopez LLC, I'm in bedroom one, but you're in bedroom two and you fall down my stairwell. Like I'm probably still in trouble, I would imagine. But I know that's a very complex answer. Yeah, I mean, it depends. I mean, so if you want to wait until you move to the next property and have it, that's fine. And then it's keeping in mind if you have multiple properties that you've house hacked and putting them in separate entities to shield them from each other is the best rule of thumb. And then if you wanted to avoid probate, having a trust in the background, um, you know, it's really important to keep in mind if you are living there, we were kind of talking about from an insurance standpoint, you're going to need kind of multiple layers of insurance if you're living there because you're going to want your own renter's policy as a personal tenant living there as well. You might want to have your own kind of umbrella policy or your own homeowners in addition to these other policies covering your role as the landlord. Have you had clients um, transfer properties like house tax or active living into LLCs? 
Um, I've come across it. I think the idea is can is the concern from the mortgage or is the concern from like a liability standpoint? Um, I, I'd say mortgage first because there's, you know, there's that due on sale clause technically a lot of times. So I think yeah. that would be first liability second. Yeah. I mean, anytime you transfer yeah. real estate into an LLC, there's a risk that you're going to transfer, you're going to trigger that due on sale clause. And then from a liability component, um, anytime you get sued as whether you live on the property or not, you can always be sued. They, they'll always try to sue you individually mm-hmm. and hold you per, try to hold you personally responsible. And so that's why you want to have the good coverages that are going to cover it. Normally where I see people get into trouble is kind of the dual role of things that you're doing on the property. So if you, um, I was just talking to a client who came to me after they had been sued and it's a carbon monoxide issue and the, they didn't live on the property. So it's a rental property and there was some kind of carbon monoxide issue and the husband was doing a lot of the work related to the carbon monoxide mm. issue. So obviously there's a argument to hold them personally responsible. So you want to keep that in mind. Like if by living there, you're directly connected to whatever happens. So um, you're doing some kind of repairs and it goes awry or you bring a dog on and it attacks someone. Obviously the LLC isn't going to give you that protection because you're being held personally liable for your role of what you did. Um, But there's other business owners besides house hackers that like it's very common in hotels for um, a GM or owner, um, especially in the small mountain hotels to live on property. Yeah. So it's not just the fact that you live on property alone that's going to create that. It's going to be kind of those specific actions that you do. That makes sense. You're out there, yeah, working on the gas line or doing electrical work and something catastrophic happens. I'm assuming that's not good in general, but I can really be not in the favor of the landlord or the owner. Yeah. All right. So what else do house hackers need to know, Pam? We went through the five tips. I know we blew through them. What else? Yeah, I would just say like really thinking of this as a business and that you are a business owner and putting on that hat as you go through the whole process. So from the moment you're kind of looking at the property that you're going to invest in and making those decisions to, you know, because when you're at that stage and you're kind of making that financial commitment and making those decisions. And then when you're choosing people to live there, to rent there, thinking about it as a business owner, like thinking about for a moment, I'm running something really similar to a apartment complex. And when you're looking at those common areas, is this safe for everybody? Is there going to be issues that are going to come up? And especially if you're living there, um, if you're staying there and you're living there, what are the issues that you're seeing? What are the issues that are going to come up? And then insurance is always going to be the best line of defense. I don't sell insurance, but I always tell people if there are um, being frugal and they're not sure where to spend their money, usually the you're going to get the best juice with your money. You're going to get the best bang for your buck if you spend that extra money getting good insurance. And I tell people, work with a trusted advisor, look at the exclusions page, get a copy of the policy, the full policy. I know it's very boring. Turn to the exclusion page and see if there's any exclusions. Make sure you have the coverage you need because that's going to cover the vast majority of issues. Yeah, that's something that uh, took me a while to learn is actually read through the entire insurance policy and understand all the items on there because I've had I've had coverage gaps in the past or I assume this meant this, but mm. assumptions usually don't work out very well for me. So I cannot uh, 
agree with you enough that yeah, understand your insurance policy and please make sure you're talking with a competent insurance agent um, because they get very underappreciated, but there's a big difference between a great insurance agent and not a great insurance agent. All right. So Pam, I know you have a great process you take people through to educate them and then help walk them through the estate planning process. If people want to talk with you or start exploring creating a estate plan, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So I would suggest setting up a complimentary 15-minute call and you can go to lawmother.com forward slash go. And there's a button that says click for a 15-minute call and you can schedule directly there. Cool. And we'll put the link in the show notes on there. And I just want to iterate again that I've used you, my wife and I, my family appreciate the work so much. And we're actually just about the one year mark since we actually created my estate plan. Yay. And I've had follow-up questions and some issues and some like, oh, I haven't gotten this thing done yet. And you and your team has always been very responsive and helpful, which I was appreciate because a lot of times it's not just, hey, we got the thing done. You're off the books and it's transaction. I feel like I have a good relation with you and your team. So as I have questions and my life evolves, my businesses evolve, your team is there evolving with me, which I very much appreciate. Yeah, we appreciate that. And I think that's the important thing when working with an attorney is you really want to work with someone that you're going to be able to have that ongoing relationship and not just feel like you're a one-time transaction. I totally agree. All right, Pam, thank you so much. And we'll be talking to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.